welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. I'm thrilled to be joined today by former model turned nutritional therapist and author Rosemary Ferguson. Food is a tricky subject for many of us, myself included. And I was keen to find out what sparked her interest in nutrition, having come from a modelling background. Qualifying as a nutritionist and naturopath in 2009, Rosemary now works from a central London clinic whilst writing for publications such as Vogue and Tatler. She is passionate about the power of good nutrition and is very vocal about how crucial our diets are for reducing anxiety and ultimately improving our mental health. I am going to start by asking you initially about what sparked your interest in health and nutrition. Well, I think probably I grew up around alternative medicine and my mum and my gran were, you know, they were practitioners. My mum's a kinesiologist. My gran owned health, one of the first health food shops in the country. So I sort of grew up in that world, you know, now antibiotics. And so that it was very, very sort of much part of my cult, my youth culture, my growing up. And I think nutrition became my medium. When I started modeling, you know, the, the, you know, I started getting into a bit of yoga and a bit of green juice. And I think that's probably where my interest in nutrition came from, you know, that particular side of healing. Mm. And how did you make the segue from modeling into nutrition? I had three kids. I sort of had two very young children. I was very keen to do something more. And I was concerned about the next chapter. It's a bit of a weird one modeling because you, you know, unless you're Kate or, you know, Linda Evangelista, you tend to sort of slow down quite a lot in your thirties. And I really didn't want to be hanging around waiting for the next job to come up. And I wanted to have a bit of control over what I was doing. So because I had three kids, you know, you start becoming very aware of what you're feeding them. And so that's why I started thinking, oh, I wonder why this is good for them and, you know, tinkering around. And then I sort of decided that I really want to take it more seriously and I wanted to practice, which meant I had to go back to college. But that's, I think, probably where it sort of segued there. So, Rose, can you tell us a bit about the relationship between nourishing ourselves properly and our mental well-being? Yeah, I mean, I think there's quite a few things. It, it sort of covers quite a few levels. I mean, obviously, you have nourishing yourself with proper food then you're getting the right nutrients that help your brain work that help the microbes in your gut work well but I also think it's more that you know and energy is a big one especially when with mental health you know if you're tired then it's a trigger for lots of people when you eat well you tend to feel better then you tend to treat yourself better you don't sabotage yourself so much when you don't eat well your blood sugar goes crazy and you know and you'll you have blood sugar spikes which makes you feel off kilter and then you're more likely to grab, you know, things like chocolate and sweets, all of which are very, they hit the dopamine sensor, they're very addictive. And the problem is they don't make us physically feel well, which in turn doesn't make us mentally feel well. I think people are much more balanced mentally when their blood sugars are more stable. And so I think that's important. And also just getting the right nutrients, you know, things like B vitamins and zinc and magnesium are all really crucial to our nervous system and the way our brain works. And fats, good fats. 
So for someone who's suffering from depression or an anxiety-related disorder, what would you say first off are the key nutrients they should be focusing on getting? Magnesium is a really key one, probably because it's sort of like nature's Valium in a way. I know that sounds a bit strange, but it's very relaxing. It helps the body. It's, but it is very good for helping the body to relax. In you know, in one one of its things that it does, which is what AY Epsom salts baths are so useful for muscles. The other thing that I think is really key is good fats, and that's you know like omega threes in fish or you know, things like avocados, olive oil, any of those things, they're or medium chain triglycerides, MTT oil. They help the nerve transactions in the body. So they help our nervous system work more efficiently. They also reduce inflammation. And now we know that inflammation in the brain is very linked with anxiety and depression. I also think probably B vitamins are very good because they're good for the nervous system. But then I also do think with anxiety, it's a lot of lifestyle too, you know, like it's always good if you do a 360 approach. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, I know you're quite a proponent of the paleo diet. Will you elucidate on that? And for people who do suffer from, say, anxiety or depression or an eating disorder or addictive behaviours, why that might be helpful or unhelpful and explaining exactly what it is and why you are such an advocate of it. So the paleo diet is an inch. I do, I do really like the paleo diet. There are a few things about it that I don't agree with, but in the general theory behind the paleo is that it's a lower grain. So you sort of, I mean, if you're very strict paleo, you wouldn't eat any grain, but I don't think that's entirely necessary. But it's a reduction in the grains, no dairy. And but the thing that I really don't like about it is that they don't like legumes and beans, which I really do. So it's quite an animal protein heavy. That's you know sort of well, mind you. I mean, you can have tofu and tempeh, but um, and just lots of veg, which I just think is very simple. It's, it makes sense to me. The grain thing is interesting when it comes to, you know, what people go, why don't you like grains? It's just that we eat so many of them. We eat loads and loads and loads of carbohydrate. And often it's not complex. So people think when they're having a slice of wholemeal bread that it's fine. But actually the wheat nowadays is so processed that, you know, I mean, it's better. Yes, it's better than white. I think you have to be realistic and go, okay, what's the best I can do today? But, you know, there are people who have toast for breakfast, sandwich for lunch and pasta for dinner. And it's just leaving out a whole lot of nutrition that you should be getting from eating a sort of wider variety of foods, I think. So, yeah, so I do really like paleo because as far as I'm concerned, it's fresh fish, fresh meat and fresh veg. I think carbohydrates is a very contentious subject. Mm. And I mean, definitely in the past, I've sort of spoken to people who have said, oh, carbohydrates can actually help with anxiety levels. And when you completely eliminate them and you go into ketosis, it can exacerbate stress levels. And then other people, you know, like yourself can say, well, actually, they are quite inflammatory. And because they're so overprocessed now, they're not actually great for us. So I guess it's striking a balance, isn't it? Yeah, and, and just to be really clear, when I'm talking about things, you know, wheat is my big bugbear, but I, you know, and I'm not anti-gluten, I'm not really anti-anything, to be honest. You know, I definitely love some brown rice, I like buckwheat, I love to have some grains, I love a bit of sourdough. Your brain does work from glucose, Is you know, so when we talk about ketones, you're, you're asking your body to work off fat, which produces ketones as energy. Your brain does not work off ketones ever. It only, you know, it uses glucose, which is carbohydrate, whether it comes from a Kit Kat or it comes from like the most hardcore buckwheat you can find, or, or from a bit of broccoli or a lentil. They all have a bit of carbohydrate in them and they get broken down to glucose, which is the nutrient that we use to run energy in the body. 
So I think you have to, I agree, I do agree with you about cutting whole food groups. I think it's, I don't think it's a healthy way to behave. And I think the word, as soon as you feel restricted, then you're not doing the right thing. There's also a lot of contention around sugar. And a lot of people seem to be completely eliminating fruit because it's a, oh, allegedly like got too much sugar in. But as you've spoken about and written about, you know, actually fruits contain a lot of essential nutrients yeah. and people don't seem to understand about the fiber content, et cetera. And so sugar has been put into this generic kind of block. So what would your advice be about sugar and fruit and how people consume it and whether alternative sugars like coconut sugar, maple syrup, agave, are those good for us or are they actually just sugar in a disguised form? They're sugar in a disguised form. I mean, they, you know, sorry, but, you know, coconut sugar, the thing that, the reason that they're better, so that's what I mean, you have to sort of go, well, it's better than sugar because it's got more minerals in them, really. Um, things like xylitol don't create an insulin reaction, which is why they might be better for somebody with blood sugar issues. But it's very, very, very sweet. Um but yeah, coconut sugar, date syrup, all of those things that agave nectar, they're sugar, you know, but they don't have very much. And the reason sugar is such an issue is because it creates this huge insulin spike if you keep having lots and lots of it, which a lot of people do. And that in turn creates diabetes and obviously creates all sorts of problems and inflammation and Oh, it drives me mad. People come in and they're like, I haven't eaten fruit for ages. And I'm just like, oh no, because you're right. You're absolutely right. What you say, fruit has lots of little little micronutrients in it which are like antioxidants and things like that but it also has fiber and if we're thinking about the relationship between our gut and our brain and the vagus nerve that communicates between the two the bacteria in our gut are the things that are generating i think it's quite common knowledge now how much serotonin is made in our gut and that is really important so you need to give those bacteria Lots of variety of different fiber, which you get from fruit and vegetable, nuts and seeds, plants, basically. And so it's really important to have those. So cutting fruit juice. Yes, I understand if people are, you know, because fruit juice will create an insulin spike. But a piece of fruit, have it, please have it. (laughs) And what do you think about supplementation, Rose? I mean, do you think a healthy person should need to take a probiotic and extra vitamin D and extra... um, you know, magnesium, et cetera, would you put your clients onto that or would you only put them onto supplements if there was an obvious deficit of a a nutrient in their diet? I can be quite aggressive in my supplement formulas, like not aggressive, aggressive is the wrong word. They could be quite, you know, um, robust, shall we say. But that's because we're using it therapeutically. So we're trying to generate a shift in something. So then I would tell people, if you think you need to supplement something that's quite strong then I would go and see somebody who knows what they're talking about because literally nine out of ten clients I see have got a drawer full of stuff that's probably hundreds of pounds worth of supplements they could have gone to see someone who knows what they're talking about and told them that they need three not 20 of them I think is maintenance um, supplementation for everybody a D vitamin in the winter is a really good idea I think doing a probiotic every six months a probiotic course every six months is a good idea you know, because I think probably eating prebiotic and probiotic food on a regular basis is what you should be doing. Um, you know, eating fermented foods on a daily basis would be really useful, really great to maintain your microbiome. Um, but I do think doing it every six months is a good idea. I also think probably for most of us taking an omega-3 is probably a good idea. Uh, you know, I think I feel quite comfortable saying that as a general thing, because I think the 
the importance of reducing inflammation in our body is becoming more and more apparent. And you can't help pesticides. You can't help walking around in the street and picking up pollution. You can't help stress. All of these things generate inflammation in our body. So I sort of would tend towards a, you know, a nice fish oil or a nice vegan oil, omega-3. I just want to take a quick moment to say a big thank you to my wonderful sponsor, Bowdoin. Bowdoin is a British brand that has championed uplifting, eclectic British style since it was founded 31 years ago. Perhaps it's time to add to your collection this autumn with some new knitwear, maybe with a modern twist such as a puff sleeve. I've just indulged in a new ultra soft cashmere, which I can honestly tell you I'll be living in this winter. But what I love most about the brand is that they've always championed women from a variety of different backgrounds and seek to inspire them to enjoy a life well lived, which is exactly what I'm aiming to do with my podcast. Head to Bowden.com to check out their new autumn collection or to their Instagram at Bowden underscore clothing. Moving on to intermittent fasting, which again is sort of a buzz topic at the moment. And I think, again, it's got it's shrouded in kind of a bit of a, a like naivety about what it actually does and how it should be used. Will you first of all explain why it can be effective and then why it can actually be detrimental for, say, someone who has got an eating disorder and may not be helpful for someone who's got issues around food? So intermittent fasting is a broad term and it can, and it's very flexible, which is a positive thing. So people can use it. It basically is talking about eating windows, like how large is your eating window in the day? So the 16-8 is the most common, I suppose. And that means that 16 hours of the day, you're not eating. Eight hours of the day is your eating window. And it does work very well for balancing blood sugar levels. It works very well for energy and it, it works very well for your gut microbiome. Your bacteria love it because actually... The world we live in, people graze all day long and the bacteria in our gut and also just your digestion has to deal with that all day, every day, constant, constant, constant. So it never has time really to repair and just take a break. So by doing intermittent fasting, you get that break. You know, your body, your your digestive tract, your whole gut gets a rest and the microbiome gets a rest. The problem with it is that people restrict they restrict calories and it's not about calorie restriction that's not what our intermittent fasting is about you listen to any of the scientists human hymen they all go on about this all the time because it's nothing to do with calorie restriction it's to do with reducing the eating window so the problem is i think if i got a whiff that somebody was struggling with their relationship with food i would never put them on an intermittent fast because no matter how you say it, it comes across as restrictive. I think it's interesting because actually there is science out there that says that for addicts, it's in a way better because the nature of addiction is all or nothing. And this gives a structure, which means that it can maintain their health. They don't have to think about it as much as if they would, you know, if you've got a structure that is very balanced and conservative, which intermittent fasting is, then, you, you know, it doesn't trigger that sort of all or nothing response. So, you know, yes, it works and it's fantastic if it's the right person, but I do think it can lead to dysfunctional eating. I know. For, I mean, from my own experience, I find that at our sort of 14, 15, I then start getting that anxious hunger. And that's when I know actually then I tip into actually raising my cortisol levels, going into actually a sort of fight, flight or fight mode again. And it's not helpful in helping me manage 
the eating and then it actually is more conducive to me wanting to binge so it's kind of as you say it's finding what works for you I think yeah and also I mean the thing is actually because what intermittent fasting is it is a hermetic stress so it's under the same umbrella as things like cold water swimming so what it does is it does put a stress on the body but then the body responds by becoming more resilient because it becomes stronger so if someone's very very stressed I wouldn't put them on a 16-8 because they they need to you don't need to add stress on top of stress Mm. And Rose, how have you navigated the sort of choppy waters of eating disorders with your own daughters? Because you're a mother of three, and I can imagine it must be pretty tricky. Because with you've alluded to everyone having different dietary requirements and catering for all of those, how do you ensure that a specific diet or a so-called fad, or you know whatever someone chooses, whether they follow veganism or vegetarianism or or paleo? When can you identify that that's becoming a disordered sort of pattern of eating? And also in the home, how how accommodating do you think one can be and like mothers can be towards their children who want to start a restrictive diet? Yeah, um, well, starting off with my, my varied diets in the house, my very dietary requirements, I actually just, I mean, this sums up my day. So I just did, well, it doesn't, but, you know, tonight I did a, a chicken casserole in one and then I use exact, I do the same chopping of all the vegetables and then I put some tempeh in one pot, chicken in the other, and then I had some red rice in it. So that's what we had tonight. And also I'm very aware, I'm like literally, it's like a perfect storm, isn't it? I'm, I was a model. And now I'm a nutritionist and I've got three daughters. It's like, what could possibly go wrong? But they're allowed to do what they like, really, you know, food-wise. So my kids, it just makes my eyes water sometimes what they eat. You know, if we go past McDonald's, they want McDonald's. But I've never stopped it because I'm very aware of that. And they, they're at their school, they have terrible food. I wrote a letter once and they were mortified. But I was like, I can't believe what absolute shit you're getting fed. Like pizza bagels, donuts. And I think it was, they had a fizzy drink and that sent me over the edge, at which point I typed out a very letter email and they were like, please, mom, don't, don't. And I was like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's not going to bring out the best in you. I'm quite normal than what I eat. I think people always think that I'm, I mean, I'm pretty healthy most of the time, but I'm not perfect pants. So I think the culture in this house is as balanced as any other house really. We just have quite a lot of healthy other things, you know, but we do eat just normally, like, just like I say, chicken casserole. But I, it has crossed my mind and I have been concerned about them up and down because you never know quite what's going on. But I think they're okay at the moment. Um, and then what was your last question, the last part of that one? It was more about when a uh, sort of restrictive eat. I mean, even though I know oh, yeah. that veganism and vegetarianism isn't sort of dubbed as restrictive, essentially you are eliminating some food. So I'm just going to label it as being a restrictive kind of yeah. way yeah. of eating. When when can you identify that that's actually becoming disordered eating and it's an excuse to sort of eliminate certain food groups? Yes, that's a really good point. Um, do you know what? I think perhaps the culture around how you eat in your house is important too. I mean, I would never confront my kids about it. I would, If I'm worried, I'm keeping an eye. So there was a time a few years ago with one of them that I was just watching and me and their, uh, her dad and we would just observe for a bit and just see. We were just watching. And actually then my mum was like, are you joking? You were like a beanpole. But, you know, but I, I was. it was on my mind. And so we just, we watched and then we did have a conversation about it you know, with my husband and we were just like, let's just keep an eye on her and see, Not, you know, we didn't, we just observed. And so eating together is quite a good way of doing that because you can, and also, like you said, if you're hungry, then you're more likely to 
you know, like binge. So that was something I think making sure kids are eating on regular time, making sure that they're eating food that's full of nutrients. You know, I was reading something about um, violence and junk food, you know, and that's what drives me mad about school, prisons, hospitals. I'm like, these are three, you know, institutions where the food that they're fed is totally counterintuitive and counterproductive to what there's, you know, what people are trying to achieve. It drives me crazy, but it does have, you know, ADHD and things like that have a huge impact when people are eating trashy food. Yeah. I'm interested to know why you think eating disorders are on the rise amongst young girls, especially, I mean, I know actually young men as well, it's, it's becoming an increasing issue, but what do you think is the cause behind that? You know, eating disorders are usually an anxiety disorder more of a mental health problem than a nutritionist problem so you know I would never treat or work with somebody unless they were you know having medical treatment somewhere else for their you know for their psychological health um so I would say because anxiety is on the rise that's you know because I know these kids my kids everybody has you know they they, there's so much struggle and I put I mean just because of my age probably but I put it down to social media a lot social media there's so much mixed messaging coming out and it, I despair a little bit because they're being shown images constantly and this being discontent in themselves of their in their lives they always want whatever they're seeing on the you know I just think it's making people really anxious and and miserable really but that's what I would say and also terrible food you know like I say junk food is really not helping the situation because that's making people feel bad <laughs> really simply <laughs> yeah it's true I mean, I think it was also the the belief that eating healthily has to involve like a lengthy process of like the preparation, mm. you know, the shopping, the just the facilities, etc. And a lot of people don't feel that it's very accessible. And I mean, I know, you know, my my way of eating it does. It takes up a lot of time, and not everyone does have that time on their hands, or it's not a priority. So I guess it's coming up with sort of, you know, easy ways. And as you say, it's making family recipes and everyday recipes that are just kind of a wholesome, good, balanced into sort of, you know, healthy meals. It's funny. I do think everyone's really sick of the unattainable well-being, wellness image. You know, I just think everybody's so fed up with it. They're just because it's it's making people feel bad you know it's like it actually makes you feel like shit if you just think well I'm never going to be able to do that and actually you know eating well isn't complicated having a baked potato with some you know okay so I would put butter beans or I would get you know like haricot beans but having a baked potato with baked beans and some cheese and broccoli on the side or some peas is not bad it's not bad you know and so and I think that this idea of that it all has to be I don't know, kale fritters or whatever it is, you know, something quite extreme is not the case. You know what? Our parents used to eat meat, meat and two veg. And, it, you know, the simpler, the better, actually. It's really not rocket science. You just, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you just, you have to eat meat, but, you know, whatever your protein is and some veg, I don't know, a little bit of rice or something, it would be yeah. perfect. So as a final question, if you had five pieces of advice for someone about what to include, what not to include in their diet, what would that be in a nutshell? Oh, I mean, do you know what? It's so boring what I'm going to say. I'm going to say eat more vegetables, eat more fruit. And I would also include nuts and seeds in there because it's got lovely fats in them and just nice fibre. I tell you what I really wouldn't do is drink fizzy drinks unless you have got a really, really bad hangover and it is like a life or death situation. Then you can have Coca-Cola. Otherwise, don't drink that stuff. There's much nicer fizzy drinks. You can get a kombucha or something that's, you know, 
And so I fizzy drinks really, really, as you can tell from the letter I wrote to the school, tipped me over the edge. And then I suppose the other thing is I don't want to sound like I'm putting carb- like grains off the menu because I'm not, but I'm just saying don't have them for your main part of your meal three times a day. Have vegetables as the main part of your meal. Maybe reduce your grain intake a little bit. They're really not bad. They, you know, they actually have quite a nice lot of, you know, things like rice and stuff have lots of lovely fiber in them. But just make sure that your plate is half vegetables. And I don't mean chips, by the way. <laughs> half vegetables, and then you'll be you'll be fine. Brilliant. Well, Rose, thank you so, so much for taking the time today to speak to us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Pandora. It's been lovely to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. Mm -hmm.